Welcome to the Rabbi Greenberg Show, the podcast that brings Jewish knowledge to you. There's a rule in the Talmud that everything follows the chitum, which translated loosely would mean the end. You go to the end of a book, that encapsulates the entire book. But it's more than that. The Hebrew word chitum also means a seal. A seal protects the contents of whatever is sealed. So it's this last part of the book of Breshit, of Genesis, that is the seal, not only the end of the book, that encapsulate the essence of the entire book, but it preserves and protects the integrity of this book. Why? What is so special about this last portion? And the answer lies in the name. The name of the portion is Vayechi, and he lived. Who lived? Yaakov, Jacob. So the Torah is talking about Jacob's life. And the question is asked, what does it mean that Jacob lived as the title of this portion when the entire section deals with his passing, the preparations for his passing? He calls in his son Joseph and he says, I want you to swear to me that you're not going to bury me in Egypt. You'll bury me in the land of Canaan with my fathers and mothers, the patriarchs. So it's preparation for his passing that he gathers in all his 12 sons and he gives them his last blessing before he passes on. And then it talks about his actual passing and then the aftermath of that, that Joseph's brothers were concerned that maybe now that Jacob was no longer here, Joseph would take revenge and Joseph pacifies them. So the entire section deals with Jacob's passing before, during, and after. And yet, what is it called? What is this parsha, this section called? Vayechi, and he lived. So the answer is based on a statement in the Talmud that when we read about Jacob's passing, the truth is Yaakov Avinu lo mate. Our father Jacob did not actually die. So then what did they do to him? Why did they bury him? Why did they eulogize him? Why did they embalm him? So the Talmud asked that question, and it doesn't give a direct answer. It just quotes a verse in which Jacob is compared to his children. Just like his children are alive, so too is Jacob alive. But Rashi, the principal commentator of the Torah and the Talmud, says that in truth, he didn't die, but they thought it occurred to them, they imagined that he had died. Why Jacob more than Abraham and Isaac? They were also righteous people. Every righteous person lives on spiritually. Why is Jacob highlighted that he did not die? So the answer is that Jacob personified the attribute of emet, of truth. Truth doesn't just mean the absence of a lie. Truth means consistency, total consistency. And because of his consistency, his life likewise continued on even beyond what people thought was his passing. We are taught that in the Messianic age, we will experience the Tchiat Hametim, the resurrection of the dead, and we will live forever because the truth, the ultimate truth of God, will be fully revealed in the world and that will affect the way we live. So that explains why the parsha is called Vayechi Yaakov and Yaakov lived. Because even though it's about his passing, It's really not about his passing because even in his passing, he was still alive. That, in a nutshell, explains why the section is called Vayechi. But we still don't have an answer to the question, why is this such an important 
teaching that it's the seal of the entire book of Genesis, that everything in Genesis, creation, the story of the flood, the story of the patriarchs and their children, all of that waits for the end, the teaching that Yaakov, Jacob, never died. So let's go a little bit more deeply into this subject. When you look at the Torah and the way it describes Joseph's, Jacob's passing, Rashi points out that it doesn't mention the word and he died. It just says he expired and he was gathered to his father. It doesn't say he died, as it says with regard to other people, including Abraham and Isaac, because Rashi quotes the Talmud that says that he didn't really die. So if we're basing it on the words in the scripture, then we have a problem, because at the beginning of this section, the Torah says, Vayikrivu yimei Yisrael lamut, which is translated as, when the time drew near for Israel, Yisrael, to die. Yisrael is Jacob. This, his name was changed, and we use both names. So when the time drew near for Israel to die. So it says clearly that he died. That's question number one. Question number two, Rashi makes an observation that if you look at the end of last week's Torah portion and this week's, usually there's a space. There's a line, an empty line, or a large space in the line. Here there's only a space of one letter. Why? Why is the, are these two sections closed as if they're put together in a way that they're not to be separated? So Rashi says as follows. When Yaakov, when Jacob, our father, died, the eyes and the hearts of the Jewish people were closed due to the suffering of slavery, for it was at that time that the Egyptians began to enslave them. In other words, the Torah is trying to tell us that because of Jacob's passing, because of his passing, that's when the slavery began. That's why everything is closed, because their hearts were closed. Well, here it says clearly that it was his passing when he died, when our father Jacob died, that's when the eyes and the hearts of the Jewish people were closed. So we have a little bit of a contradiction. On one hand, the Torah omits mentioning that he died to suggest that he really did not die. Yet in the beginning of the section, it says clearly that his days were growing near, closer to his death, and that the Torah closes this section and attaches it to the previous section as a way of saying that his death caused our hearts and eyes to be closed. And there are a few other questions I'd like to throw out here and give one answer to all these questions. So keep the other questions in the back of your mind. File them, and we'll get back to it. Another question here is that when it talks about the time drew near for Israel to die, it refers to his name as Israel. Now, the Torah portion begins like this. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. The total of Jacob's days, the years of his life, for 147 years. So it calls him Jacob. All of a sudden, when it talks about his impending death, it changes it to Israel. When the time drew near for Israel to die, why does it change from Jacob to Israel in this verse? Another question, why does the Torah use the plural here? Now, I gave you the translation, but it's not 
a literal translation. The translation I gave you was when the time drew near for Israel to die. What it actually says is when the days drew near for Israel to die, the days for him to die, how many days does it take for a person to die? One day. The Zohar, the principal work of Kabbalah, asked the question, why does it use the plural over here? Then is another question. The quote from Rashi that I just gave you was that the reason why the parsha is closed, the section is closed, is because their hearts and eyes closed because of the suffering of slavery that began with Jacob's death. That's not true. Jacob's death did not lead to slavery. As long as Joseph was alive, not only that, but as long as any of his 11 brothers were still alive, the last of which was Levi, actually, and that was many decades later, that's when the slavery began. Not until then. Joseph was in control. He was the leader of Egypt. There was no slavery then. So to answer all these questions, we have to try to understand what it really means when it says that Jacob did not die. So then, why did they do all the things that they did to him? As Rashi answers, that they thought he died, they imagined that he died. What does that tell us? That tells us that there are two kinds of reality. There's the reality from God's perspective, which is the ultimate truth and the ultimate reality, and there's a reality that is based on our perception the way we see things, which is really virtual reality. We're living in an age of virtual reality, and sometimes it's so hard for us to separate between virtual and actual reality. But there is a difference. Sometimes what your eyes see and your ears hear are not true reality. They're only a perception of reality. The eyes could deceive you. The ears can deceive you. God is the one who is in control of true reality. So when Jacob is leaving this world, the true reality is Jacob, who personified the divine attribute of emmet, of truth, of total consistency, did not really die. But the perception was, the virtual reality was that he died. So when the Torah talks about his actual passing, it doesn't use the word and he died because he didn't. But when the Torah talks about the perception, when it talks about how Israel, what it means by Israel, and remember the question, why doesn't it use the name Jacob here, but it uses the name Israel. Israel refers to the people, to his children. As long as his children looked at him in the terms of the way they viewed every human being, Jacob was actually coming close to dying. But They were projecting their own mortality on him. That's why it uses the plural, the days of his death, because they were projecting their own passing, their own death, their own mortality onto Jacob. But Jacob didn't really die. It's they died. They had the concept of death in them, and they projected that on Jacob. So that's why it says the days of Israel, Israel meaning the people, the children, who are projecting onto Jacob. And that's why he's called Israel, based on his children, the children of Israel. And that they, therefore, viewed him as an extension of themselves. When the people look at Jacob as 
someone who was living forever, that he never died, then he is alive. But the virtual reality says, no, they're not, he's not alive because we are not and we are projecting onto him. That explains why this parsha, this section, is so crucial and is the seal of the entire book of Genesis. Because all of Judaism rests on the distinction between true reality and virtual reality. Because when the Torah gives us commandments and tells us how to live our lives, very often we come to the conclusion that it's impossible. There's a conflict. The natural order does not allow us to do certain things. Society is an impediment to our ability to live as Jews, to live in a moral life. For example, someone engaged in business, and he says, and I heard this from business people, you can't do business unless you are deceptive. You have to trick the customer. You have to misrepresent the goods, or whatever it may be. And when I argued with them, saying, how could that be? On the contrary, I think if you're going to do business with integrity, with honesty, people will flock to you. And the person's answer was, you're naive. In this world that we're in, we have no choice. What, what he was saying essentially is that the Torah that says that you have to do business with integrity, that's an ideal, that's idealistic, that's not reality. Reality is the cruel rat race that we're in, and we have to sometimes use deception in order to make a living. And of course, we try to minimize as much as possible, but we cannot live and succeed and flourish in business without deception. That is where you're looking at the world of virtual reality as true reality, and the true reality of the Torah you're viewing as something that is theoretical, abstract, it's not real, it's not real part of real part of society. Another example, the Torah tells us we have to rest on Shabbat. We're not supposed to engage in work. And I'm not going to go into the definition of work, but of course when a person goes to his job, there's a, many violations of the Sabbath. And a person says, oh, I can't help it. I make my money by going to work, and I have to work on the, on the Sabbath, especially if you have a store. And you close on the Shabbos when it's the main day of business, you'll go out of business. That's the argument. So reality tells you you cannot close on Shabbat. The Torah tells you you could and you should. Who do you follow? The problem with society is that we follow the perception of reality, the virtual reality, which to us is reality. And the Torah we push to the side as saying that that's not realistic. Yes, maybe some people, if you're a rabbi, you can get away with not doing work on the Shabbat. All the rabbis do most of their work on Shabbat, but that work is permissible, giving sermons and putting people to sleep sometimes. Uh, I once told an anesthesiologist that we're in the same business. You put people to sleep, and I put people to sleep. But the truth of the matter is, is that Shabbat is reality, what we do in the weekdays is virtual reality, and we turn it into true reality when we allow what we do in the weekdays to surrender to that which is true reality, when we involve God in our activities, when we direct our activities towards 
a holy end towards the observance of the commandments, the study of Torah, the worshiping of God, we turn the virtual reality into true reality. So when we come to the end of the book of Genesis, and what is the book of Genesis is about? It's about the legacy of the patriarchs, which established the very premise upon which Judaism is built. You have to have vayechi. You have to realize that Jacob is alive, that the true reality is not what you see with your eyes necessarily. True reality is what the Torah dictates and the Torah defines as reality. The Torah begins, the book of Genesis begins with bereshit, which means in the beginning. But Rashi has a different translation. Rashi says that be doesn't only mean in, it means because of, because of things that are called primary. Reshit is primary, namely Torah and Israel. The whole purpose of creation was for Israel, the Jewish people, to bring the teachings of the Torah into society, into reality, implement all these teachings. How could you seal that? How could you guarantee that it'll succeed if you recognize that there is true reality and there's virtual reality? And we have to strive to Vayichi Yaakov. We take the Jacob in us and we realize it's alive because that's true reality even though there's this conflict today between true reality and virtual reality, what we perceive as reality, the Messianic age, which we're very close to, it's an imminent revelation. We're taught by all of our great leaders, especially the Rebbe, that we're on the very threshold of the redemption of the final age of the messianic age what will happen then that will change the world what will happen then is that we will all be exposed to true reality we will no longer be slaves to the virtual reality and therefore the world will become a perfect world a world in which we will eventually be able to live forever thanks for listening to the rabbi greenberg show 